0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tiamanini. And I am Broadway star James Marino.
1: And I'm on my way to a BFA's Natalie Nowak.
0: Everybody, we want to wish you a happy New Year. I hope that not only you, James, and Natalie had a great New Year's Eve and then New Year's Day. uh, But everybody out there listening, I hope you had a safe... Happy and healthy start to your 2018. Um, we've been away for a while, so some stuff has happened. We're gonna talk about that. But the first thing I want to mention, Natalie, looking forward is is on your next episode of On My Way to a BFA, you're going to be answering some listener questions as the process for people applying to BFA programs is kind of getting hot and heavy right now. So do you want mm-hmm. to give us a real quick look? at what you're looking for and how people can send in questions to you if they either are somebody who's starting the process or might know somebody who is going through the process?
1: Yeah, well, just like you just said, um, whatever part of the process you are in right now and whether you're a parent listening who has kids who want to study musical theater, I'm currently studying it at the Hart School. So I was thinking of on my next episode just taking questions about All things BFA programs, anything you might want to know about the process. So you can either tweet me at Natalie underscore Noack. Um, We're also going to put out a Facebook post and a tweet specifically for this episode, uh, accepting the questions. So look out for that. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it.
0: Cool. Very good way to start 2018 is all of those auditions and campus visits and stuff are going to get started here soon. So lots of nervous uh, high school seniors out there as they start doing their (laughs) auditions. I'm sure that'll be one of the questions as well. Yeah. I might want to point out that uh, if
2: you were to visit the Hart School versus visiting some school up north, you'd probably be much warmer down at the Hart School.
0: Uh, (laughs) I don't know it would be that much difference. Um, (laughs) Although that school up north did ruin james the conference of our uh, alma maters the big 10 was undefeated in college bowl games until michigan lost the final one so they just ruined it for everybody but mm-hmm. as an ohio state grad um I was gonna. I, I'm okay with
2: that. <laughs> I was gonna bring up that this couldn't have been any better for all of us. Penn State no, won. You're right. Ohio you're right. State won, and Michigan lost. Ooh. I mean, yes. I, I, I mean, this like,
0: what a better way to start a year. It was. It was a win-win for me and all of my Ohio State brethren fans, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because if if Michigan won, then the whole Big Ten went undefeated. But if Michigan didn't win, eh, that's okay too. And Natalie, you you go to the hard school, but you're not too far away from Northwestern, Chicago's Big Ten school. So we'll count you as an honorary uh, Big Ten person then. Okay. that's cool. (laughs) You're like, wait, what? What's the Big Ten?
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. First up in the news. Back to 2018,
0: Scott Rudin clashes with Tennessee Williams rights holders. Yeah, on Christmas, our friend and someone quickly becoming one of the most important theater reporters around, Mark Hirschberg reported in Forbes that Scott Rudin is in a bit of a disagreement with the University of the South not in the Big Ten, Um, the university holds the copyrights to all of Tennessee Williams' works. Apparently, the school had granted the rights to the Glass Menagerie for last year's Sally Field-led revival uh, in exchange that Rudin would pay them 6% of the revenue before opening night, 7.5% of the revenue after opening night, And would put an advertisement in the program, quote, highlighting how the school has created a theater and some fellowships in honor of the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Unfortunately, according to the school, none of those things ever happened. But since the show only generated five and a half million dollars during its Broadway run, Rudin reportedly owes three hundred five thousand dollars. $383.78 plus interest. Uh, The school filed a lawsuit against Rudin in federal court on December 22nd, but as Hirschberg points out, it might be better for all parties to settle rather than to endure the costs of litigation, but we will see what happens. Um, However, as Mark notes, and I think he's probably right, the chances of Rudin ever being granted the rights to produce any other of Williams's classics seems to be slim to none at this point, although granted by how poorly this last revival did. Maybe he didn't uh, have any intention of doing any more anyway. Now, James and Natalie, this is obviously just one side of the story, and we don't know what Rudin's side of it was or what rationale he has if he didn't make the royalty payments as the school is alleging. But assuming what the University of the South says is at least true on its basic merits, this strikes me as being fairly similar to what happened with the Kagans and Ars Nova over Great Comet, like, if you say you're going to pay something or put an ad in the program or list a theater company a certain way, why not just do it, James? This seems like this is part and parcel with signing a contract. It's the same things with theater companies just deciding to willy-nilly change things after they've, they've signed the licensing agreement. What What's going on here?
2: Uh, I can't understand it either. I, I mean, you know, this is what you pay. You pay, you know— Six percent, right. sometimes eight percent or other some negotiated number for the rights to the show during the run of uh, any time you sell a ticket. I, I can't imagine what the rationale is for not paying this. Uh, it, it's bewildering. There's got to be a contract yeah. somewhere.
0: Exactly. And this isn't like this is some exorbitant, weird stipulation that the school is giving. Every show that Rudin does, unless it's in the public domain, which I can't think of any that he's done that are, has to pay the writers or the writers estates. So this just seems weird. Um, Another note uh, in, in Mark's article that I wanted to mention was that they gave Rudin exclusive rights to professionally produce the show for 30 months. That's a show that gets done a lot professionally. So I would imagine that they probably did take a hit financially when this didn't become a hit. Uh, so I, you know, it just seems odd that this wasn't just done as normal course of business stuff is done. 30 months. See, I didn't read this article. I have to go back and read this 30 months.
2: Yeah. That sounds like an option. Maybe Rudin paid an, a uh, large amount of money up front and is deducting it against that but I, I couldn't imagine i i'm just guessing here but yeah. that that's it's just bizarre uh, I, I can't imagine how he could possibly come out on on the winning side of this if these are the facts but again we only know one side of the story right now
0: mm-hmm. all right uh what's up in the show and casting news Okay, well, while we were gone on our little hiatus, a lot of stuff came out. Obviously, this won't be a complete list, but I wanted to collect three or four stories that I thought were especially important, so I'm going to run through those. First up, during a guest appearance on WABC Radio, The New York Post's Michael Riedel apparently teased that even before Bernadette Peters begins her run in Hello, Dolly, that producers are already starting to think about what or who comes next. And, according to Riedel, a certain six-time Tony winner is at the very top of their list. Peters starts next month in the role, and while we don't know How long she will be with the show. Apparently, Audra McDonald is the top choice to replace her as Dolly Gallagher Levi. Now, obviously, Bernadette, like I said, hasn't started, so this seems a little bit premature putting the cart before the horse, Um, but it will be interesting to keep an eye on to see if this actually does end up happening. I I think it. What's probably even more interesting, though, is to see how Rudin, who is producing this, and I'm, I'm sure paying the rights uh, to the royalty, to the uh, uh, the rights holders here. I, I will be interested to see how they handle Audra in the role. The show, for all that it's the greatness that it is, is pretty milky white. There are some uh, actors of color in the ensemble, but it would be interesting to see if they do any other colorblind casting in the show if Audra come in comes in. Or if they'll go the direction of having an all-black cast, as has been done in the past with Hello, Dolly, with Pearl Bailey and Cab Calloway and others. So I think it'll be really interesting to see if this happens, how exactly it happens. Maybe, some... uh, oh, I was going to interrupt you there for a second. You know, when Audra goes in,
2: maybe they could get Mandy Patinkin to come in as Horace.
0: I'm not 10-foot <laughs> pole, not even <laughs> <Okay>. going near <there. laughs> it. All right. Thank you. Beth Uh, Level to lead the Munis Gypsy. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of a Tony winner who would be uh, just a stunning dolly. Over the break, it was announced that Beth Level will play Madam Rose in the Muni's upcoming production of the Gyps- of Gypsy this summer. As we've discussed before, the Muni will celebrate its 100th season this summer. Unbelievable! No other casting has yet been announced, but the production will run from July 27th through August 2nd in St. Louis. In the press release announcing the casting, Mike Isaacson, who's the artistic director and executive producer at the Muni, said that he asked Level to play Rose at the opening night party of Bandstand which of course she co-starred in level one, a Tony for playing the title role in the drowsy chaperone and start in the out of town tryout for the musical prom, which will be coming to Broadway later this fall. So this would be a nice little gig for her over the summer. If she does continue with that uh, Casey Nicola directed show, Uh, I believe it starts in November, I think is when uh, either that's either opening night or the beginning of previews. So that's really exciting. And then speaking of things that happened over our little break, We didn't have any shows of today on Broadway last week, but we put some other things in the feed at the time. And one of those things was a new episode of Broadway AMA hosted by our Caitlin Milligan, in which she spoke with a writer and star of Bright Colors and Bold Patterns, Drew Drogi. In the interview, Drogi mentioned that he had to go back to L.A. for he's on the new Heather's TV show and he's writing for the Netflix animated series Big Mouth. So he had other things to do back in Hollywood. But he said that there could be a longer life for the show, either with or without him. And apparently, since that interview, we found out what that meant. Beginning on January 17th, Jeff Hiller will take over the one-man show, which is directed by Michael Urie. He will have a, a new opening night for his run on February 4th. Hiller has appeared on 30 Rock and Nightcap, as well as on Broadway and Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, in addition to a number of Shakespeare in the Park performances as well. So that'll be interesting to see how that show moves on without its creator in the starring role. And finally in this section, while we were on that mini hiatus, it was announced that Tony winner Shuler Hensley and our friend Alexandra Silber will be a part of an eight- hour marathon of music, dance film and conversation exploring the life and career of Leonard Bernstein on May 19th at New York City's Symphony Space 2018 marks the centennial anniversary of the composer's birth and the event will include a concert entitled Bernstein and Broadway in which stage stars will sing from Bernstein's musicals selections uh, from his chamber music and choral compositions as well as dance pieces set to his compositions as well will be a part of it. Hensley and Silver will star in a semi-stage production of his one-act opera Trouble in Tahiti, which will be directed by his daughter Jamie. The marathon will uh, also include conversations with family members and friends as well as television clips as well. Admission is free and uh, there is a premium seating option that's available for our $100 or more donation. Uh, guys, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of these types of retrospectives throughout his centennial year. In fact, as we've discussed before, Laura Astas, Aaron Tveit, uh, Annalie Ashford, and Christopher Jackson got us started on New Year's Eve with PBS's Live from Lincoln Center. Did any of you guys happen to see that on the 31st?
1: Yes, I actually caught bits and pieces of it um, while watching some of the other New Year's things on TV, but I did catch some of it. So How, it was, great. how was it? It was good. I really enjoyed it.
0: Very cool. I've got it on my DVR, but I I haven't watched it yet. Apparently, you were too busy watching Mariah Carey complain about (laughs) not having hot tea. (laughs) No? Oh well. But either way, I think we're going to have a lot of of Lenny coming up over the next calendar year, and uh, that's always a good thing as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) All right. Next up uh, in the news. Oh, boy. Are you ready? Yeah. Deep breaths, James.
2: Deep breaths. Okay. Count to 10. (laughs) Lena Hall plans ambitious project for 2018.
0: I'm glad you got through that without hyperventilating. Yes, um, Lena's been teasing this for a while, but the New York Times made the official announcement yesterday that Tony winner Lena Hall will pay homage to her favorite musicians and bands throughout 2018 in a project she's calling Obsessed, and it begins this Friday. The project will include a new EP album on the first Friday of every month, as well as a music video every week. This Friday, Hall will kick it off with songs from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. She obviously won her Tony for playing Yitzhak in the revival and then went on tour with the show where she would be playing Yitzhak during the normal performances. And then one day per week, I think it was Sundays, she actually played Hedwig as well. SKB Records, which I guess is the... Parent company name for Shikaboom and Ghostlight um, will produce the EPs. And Hall's tentative schedule is to include songs by Peter Gabriel, Elton John, Beck, Pink, Nirvana, Jack White, Radiohead, The Cranberries, Muse, David Bowie, Chris Cornell, and more. The Times story doesn't mention this, but Lena has been releasing Obsessed videos already, and the songs are all done acoustically. So I would imagine that these will be the same style as that I also kind of get the feeling that there might be more surprises coming with this as well so we'll just have to wait and see about that but James uh, I the first thing that I thought about was with this news that means we have to get Lena Hall on Broadway radio to talk about this
2: well I was uh, did you hear uh, that Bruce Springsteen's wife Patty Scalia was uh, has been out sick and I no, I didn't hear that uh, she's been out sick. She's missed a handful of shows. And uh, uh, and I was thinking maybe Lena would be the perfect person to fill in for Patty. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, that, that's uh, not a bad idea at all. So, therefore, uh, I could complain about not getting, again, (laughs) tickets to Springsteen's
0: show. Have her on the show and see if she can get you tickets. I like that. Speaking of – this is off script, but speaking of Springsteen on Broadway, uh, at the end of the year, former President Barack Obama tweeted out the things that he – enjoyed the most this year from a, like, a pop culture perspective or uh, a literary perspective. He'd listed songs and movies and books and stuff. And he said, he specifically mentioned that the bluesy version of uh, Born in the USA from Springsteen's uh, Broadway show was one of the things that he really enjoyed the most this year. And it got me thinking, I, I don't know that we've heard anything about whether or not he was going to release an album with the, songs from the show i don't know why he wouldn't i can imagine there would be a ton of people that would buy it yeah so maybe yeah and and especially if they are doing somewhat different versions of these songs um yeah it could be could be something to look forward to as well
2: maybe there's an espn alert about that um sorry (laughs) sorry. (laughs) did you guys hear that the uh, clintons went to the band's visit Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think we talked about that. I think it was in the time when we were uh, all out shopping and getting ready for it and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea uh, at the band's visit. So uh, it was a merry Broadway Christmas for, <laughs> for many people, it feels like. Also, I wanted to go back to Leonard Bernstein for a second. Uh, it You know, every year or so, we keep on hearing a... Um, uh, rumors about a Candide revival. So I wonder if this will prompt uh, more talk about a uh, Candide
0: coming back hmm. to Broadway. Even Well, they if, did. Yeah, they did one big one somewhere last year with, uh, I don't know if Hal directed it again or not, but there was, I think Michael Urie played Candide. Um, oh, New York City something. Opera did it. New York, Yeah, maybe that was it. Uh, was Urie in that?
2: I don't know who was in the cast there. Uh, let's see if we can find that out. Uh, oh.
0: They are also they're also doing it at LA Opera uh, this actually this month. Now that we're talking about it, uh, with um, Christine eversall and Kelsey Grammer in it uh, as well. So that's uh, an interesting one. But yes, Linda Lavin was in this one. It was directed by Harold Prince, who directed the original, of course. Um, Strolling through, who else? Oh, Jay Armstrong Johnson was who uh, I was thinking. It wasn't yeah. Michael J. Jay Armstrong yeah. Johnson was in it. So, Greg Edelman uh, was in it mm. as well, which is awesome. Uh, he's one of the best. So,
2: yeah. All right. So, uh, in the recommendation section, what do we have?
0: Two very different things. <laughs> One is a really great article that was released a couple days after Christmas uh, by Peter Marks and the Washington Post. And the headline just reads, as tourist-friendly musicals take over, Broadway no longer belongs to playwrights. It's a, it's a fairly long you know I mean, article. It's not a short little hit, but um, it's not super long. But it, Peter basically goes through and makes the case that the way that Broadway is constructed now – that new, new plays just don't have the opportunities to have commercial runs on Broadway anymore like they did in generations past with the legendary playwrights like, you know, Miller, O'Neill, Wilson and all those types of people. Um, he says, in, and I'm going to give you a little quote here, as a result of these trends, the playwrights of America don't aim for Broadway anymore. The most storied platform for theater in the country, maybe the world, is no longer the place that many of the most accomplished dramatists – think of as a natural haven for their work. Um, He talks about kind of the rise of off-Broadway and regional theaters as where the new works get developed and how maybe not-for-profits are still the only place that Broadway can have new works um, without having some huge big star attached to them. But um, it's an interesting article. It's one that's a little challenging because as someone who loves, you know, straight shows and want to see them be successful and then also want to see those playwrights have the money that a a successful Broadway production brings them to be able to go out and do other things. It, it's a tough read. I don't know that I agree 100% with everything he says in there, but I think it's important for anybody who loves uh, the art of, of playwriting. Uh, and then the other recommendation, James, you sent, um, it was Jake Gyllenhaal visited um, the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter podcast. I didn't listen to it. So give us a real quick rundown of what, good old jake talked about
2: uh so jake is uh a great interview and talking about his roots in theater and how sunday in the park came up and how his other stuff happened and when he did constellations on broadway and how uh how he really has very deep roots in theater that i didn't realize and um that he was actually uh that i think it was maggie was in the business first and then he got into the business and uh and how that all evolved it's a very interesting uh Hmm. listen and if you are a fan of jake's or uh or just a fan of theater I, i would take a listen to it they he jake freely quotes you know Sondheim without any, <laughs> uh, and not not just Sunday in the Park, but he will quote all sorts. So you know that he didn't just, oh, this is a good gig. I'm going to do this gig. You know that he really is a, it has a deep
0: base of knowledge of uh, of theater. Yeah. Uh, it's well, very interesting. Uh- yeah, on that show, I didn't. I've listened to this episode, but I have listened to the show before. Scott Feinberg, who's the yeah. the host of that, um, the first question he always asks is, "Where are you from?" And what did your parents do for a living? Both of Jake's parents are in the movie and TV business, um, so it's interesting that while his sister kind of went that direction first, he was more drawn to the theater. That's uh, that's really interesting, and I'm glad that he's kind of making a a, a little bit of a cottage career in uh, in Broadway shows, and hopefully, we'll see it. Uh, uh, continue to happen even more and maybe maggie after she did damn yankees for a roundabout that concert maybe we'll see her on stage more too
2: jake uh talked about um during high school when he was first uh uh getting cast in big movies um and he went out for his high school his high school uh play and <laughs> didn't and didn't get cast in it and he didn't get cast in it, not because of his talent, but because of his attitude. And he recounts the story, and it's so, wow. it's such a learning experience. Uh, I really, I, I tremendously enjoyed it. Also, uh, to talk about Peter Marks. Um, Peter Marks' new podcast, Three on the Isle, with Elizabeth Vincentelli and Terry Teachout. Also, their third or fourth episode came out from American um, American Theater Magazine is producing it. Uh, and it's interesting because I wonder now if the podcast was recorded before Peter wrote this article or if he wrote this article and then recorded the podcast because this, the podcast talks uh, a bunch. Peter talks a bunch about this, about uh, playwrights not having... Uh, yeah, A home on Broadway right now, um, and mm-hmm. it's a very interesting podcast. They pick out their bests of the year, and they're they picked uh, uh, unanimously across the board. They picked uh, Mary Jane down at New York Theater Workshop uh, uh, with Carrie Kuhn. and and it was like the big forgotten thing. And so I had brought it up this on this week on Broadway with uh, Michael Portantier and Peter Felish, and They were like, "Oh yes, that and that." absolutely was one of the best of the years and deserves to come back and it's it's so interesting how things fall quickly off the radar for us uh so uh we also had a great episode of this week on broadway where michael and peter talked about their bests of 2017 so uh if you do do get a chance take a listen to that as well all right so natalie tell us what's coming up in this week's theatrical schedule
1: Well in this week's schedule I'm going to include Some show news That we missed last week Because of Christmas So first up The West End End Transfer of Girl from the North Country Began previews Last Friday December 29th At London's Noel Coward Theatre This new musical Was written and directed By Connor McPherson With music and lyrics By Bob Dylan Set in 1934 In Bob Dylan's hometown Of Duluth, Minnesota The story brings to life The tales of a local community On the brink of change This production will Officially open on January 11th. Now, moving on to this week's news, Irish Repertory Theatre's off-Broadway production entitled Disco Pigs begins previews on Friday. Born at the same time, on the same day, in the same hospital, Pig and Runt have been inseparable ever since. They speak their own language, play by their own rules, and create their own world. However, on their 17th birthday, they discover something more. This production will officially open on January 9th. Now, since this week is a little different because of New Year's and there isn't too much show opening news, I'm going to talk about some unusual schedules for some of Broadway's most popular shows this week, along with some of my personal recommendations. So first up, Aladdin will be adding a 1 p.m. performance on Wednesday, and then on Sunday there will only be one 3 p.m. show. Anastasia will not have a matinee on Wednesday. Instead, they will only have a 7.30 p.m. performance. So if you're planning on trying to get tickets to a Wednesday Anastasia matinee, I would consider switching your plans and go see one of my favorites, Kinky Boots, on Wednesday because they will be doing two shows, 2 p.m. and 8 p.m., which Wednesday is usually their day off. So it's a different schedule. Uh, Now, Chicago is in the same boat as Kinky Boots since they will also be doing two shows on Wednesday, which is a special schedule just for this week. The Lion King will be performing a 2 p.m. show on Wednesday in addition to their regularly scheduled 7 p.m. show. School of Rock is adding a 7 p.m. show on Wednesday along with their usual matinee. And then on Sunday, there will only be a 3 p.m. show with no evening performance. Waitress will not have any performances on Wednesday, so I would recommend seeing Wicked that day. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you would recommend seeing wicked every day Natalie. You're,
1: you're right you're right <laughs> um now moving on to some show closings for this week the new york production of spamilton and american parody will close on sunday lincoln center's off original broadway production uh, entitled junk will close on sunday as well lincoln center's off broadway production the wolves will also close on sunday Mary Shelley's Frankenstein will close on Sunday at the Pershing Square Signature Center. And lastly, Irish Repertory Theater's The Dead 1904 will close on Sunday. And that's it for this week's schedule.
0: All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. And subscribe to Something like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Natalie, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Natalie underscore Nowak, and the same name on Instagram.
0: And my name is
2: James Marino from broadwayradio.com and broadwaystars.com. Thanks for starting off this shortened week with us. It's Tuesday. It's time to go to work. And uh, Matt and I will be back (laughs) and talk to you tomorrow.